Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Apostolic Voice Podcast. I am your host, Ryan French. Today, my father, Dr. Talmadge French, joins me in the studio to talk about miraculous missions moments from around the world. Dad's traveled most of the world preaching and teaching the gospel, and he recently returned from a dynamic missions trip to Serbia, where they've translated his first book called Our God is One, The Story of the Oneness Pentecostals into Serbian. We'll talk about the massive miracle God performed on that trip. These true stories will blow your mind and encourage you for this new year to trust God more completely than ever before. Also, we'll probably take some side roads and talk about our God is One, which documents the modern origins of the Oneness Pentecostal movement and details the explosive growth of the Oneness Pentecostal movement. His historical knowledge, work, and documentation of the Oneness Pentecostal movement is the foremost scholarly work on that subject in the world. I also plan to ask Dad about where he sees America in prophecy and how close we are to the rapture right now. And I've twisted his arm and convinced him to participate in a segment of Gross Good Great. So that should be a lot of fun. Stick around and we'll be right back in about 60 seconds. When you get a chance, visit ryanafrench.com for an in-depth exploration of Dad's first book, Our God is One, the story of the Oneness Pentecostals. Dad, thanks for being on the program today. I'm very excited for you to share with our listeners these miraculous missions moments you've experienced throughout your ministry. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Before we talk about Serbia and the miracle that God performed for you on that trip, I want to ask a long three-part question How did your tremendous passion for world missions become such a part of your DNA? That's one. And two, for those who don't know your background, how did you become such a passionate defender of the oneness message? And then part three to that question is, why or how did you become so interested in documenting how many oneness Pentecostals there are around the world? Okay, well, my passion, I think, for... The oneness itself uh, comes from the uh, my background in Trinitarianism, uh, so I, I more or less view my entering into the oneness movement as a revelation. It was a, a really unexpected. I was kind of an academic kind of person and ended up with degrees and all kinds of stuff and in ancient language and things like that. Uh, started early on with Latin when I was fourteen and went went to the university and studied Latin when I was still in high school. So that was the kind of mind that I have. And then as I began to ponder the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, it, which began with the question of why was Jesus' name baptism so prevalent in the Bible? So I, I feel like that uh, I, I got caught up into it, and as I pursued it and as I looked into it, I realized that I was getting a divine revelation. God was actually 
showing me things that I that were clear in Scripture. Of course, when I say revelation, I mean illumination, things that I didn't see before. Suddenly light was on it, and I could see what it really was. And so out of that, I think... Uh, <laughs> exactly why it became such a passion uh i'm not sure i i i just loved it and and uh, believed in it and and saw it as as, as like a, a divine work in the earth that the oneness message is not a, something we should be compromising or take lightly or just like it's well that happens to be my religion sort hmm. of a thing but right there's really a a, a deep felt of faith for for those who don't know, you you do have a tremendous passion for missions work, and you've traveled almost the entire world um, at this point it, on various missions trips. And we'll kind of start in the most recent one, and we'll work our way backwards with some of these these powerful stories. But your most recent missions trip was to Serbia just a few weeks ago now, really. Well, Thanksgiving. Literally, you right. were... <laughs> Well, you there for Thanksgiving. Well, this this reminds me of uh, something you asked me a moment ago, and, and that is how did I get a passion for researching the mm. oneness movement? Yeah. And <clears throat> one of the things that happened right away since I was approaching my faith from a very uh, logical uh, research way, uh, the first thing that came to my uh, attention was, well, where where are the oneness people? Mm. You know, what my introduction to them was interesting but it didn't give me a broad picture either of the united pentecostal church or any oneness group and everyone that i knew was was completely uh, set against it and so immediately when i became oneness i began to uh, feel the the energy and the excitement to document things about the movement that were totally misunderstood by my trinitarian friends not only in college but uh, in the churches and so as i begin to for example study what the united pentecostal church was that was um, not the only introduction i had to the oneness movement but it was a uh, it was really the first church that i became a part of and then i began to realize that the the doctrine could be defended if you uh, uh, took time to do it and so uh, ultimately uh, i spent most of my academic career trying to defend explaining the message of the oneness pentecostal movement to my trinitarian counterparts so that was the start of it you know i've observed you for 38 years now so it seems to me and this is just my observation i could be wrong but i remember i guess it would have been the 90s when you were working on the master's program at wheaton college which is what later turned into the book our god is one right and i remember as you were talking to people in china and in different parts of the world and you were discovering whole massive groups of oneness pentecostals that no one even knew about at the time and i don't know but it seems to me like through those experiences and the stories that that you found there God just put a passion for worldwide revival and missions work around the world. It's like you started to develop a real love for that. And uh, at least that's my observation. But I wanted to say that in the 90s, 
before your book came out and your research was done, it wasn't just Trinitarians, I think, who viewed us as a very small, insignificant movement. We even had a little bit of a inferiority complex ourselves as oneness people where we kind of looked around and thought, you know, if you look around at your local church and your local city, you think, well, we're a pretty small group. And a lot of oneness people felt that way, but you really shattered that preconceived idea with your research and and shed light on just how massive the oneness movement is worldwide. Right. The, the entire question of the size of the movement, no, nobody had ever really tackled it. it uh, right. People had talked about it. Uh, I, I became increasingly convinced that it was m- massive, but exactly how large I, I spent a lot of years you talk about the 90s but in the 80s i was at wheaton college in chicago studying uh greek and and hebrew getting a degree in ancient language but at the same time i was studying theology and <clears throat> doing it in order to address issues that the oneness movement was interested in and i realized that i had a professor that said to me a very, uh, you know, wasn't meaning to be, uh, you know, downputting. He basically said, well, you know, a group like yours is just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. And I was preaching. And he didn't really mean that as a. No, he meant it. To as, be mean, uh, just. He really thought it. He yeah. believed that. the. He said, I said, well, why do you think it's a drop in the bucket? And he said, well, because I've never heard of it. Mm. <laughs> and so I said, well. <laughs> Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty, um, off the top, you know, he really was making some assumptions and he was a part of a movement that was fairly well known. I mean, obviously Baptists are very well known. I was in a college where the main, uh, master's program was, was held in what was called the Billy Graham center because he's the most famous individual that walked the halls of that school and, and graduated from that school. But I began to see that a lot of the a disagreement or views about the oneness movement were mistaken. Things like, uh, did holiness? What did holiness mean? Did holiness holiness mean you couldn't grow? And I begin to see that these are just mistaken ideas that people just thought in their minds. They think of a oneness Pentecostal who doesn't embrace the Trinitarian uh, Nicene Creed then that that has to be some tiny little group they're they're flabbergasted when they find out that it's massive and millions and millions around the world yeah it really was shocking at the time and it's probably even more shocking now so out of that you've been studying you've been studying worldwide growth and then you've been invited to travel around the world and the most recent one was serbia and there was a lot of crazy things surrounding that trip number one you came down with covid um and so that had been a rough season last year and covid was really hard on you and then uh, we lost grandma your mother grandma grant yes she passed away and then you had general conference and you had meetings at general conference and you were traveling back and forth from those meetings to general conference and to to grandma's funeral and it was ju- and you were sick at the time, and if I get the timeline wrong, but at some point you actually fell. Yes, you I were sick. It. You were sick and passed out. You fell and you. I got a concussion. Got a concussion. Got I mean, a it, very serious. It concussion. was a very nasty fall, 
very scary. Well, I began to realize in the preparation to go to Serbia, which was my second trip to Serbia. Yes. That um, in, the, in the Serbian church is an amazing history. And I'd been writing about how they came out of basically Azusa Street. And they were part of basically the same revival that Urshan had in Russia. Uh, there, there's not a great deal of difference between Serbian uh, writing language and letters in the Russian letters and so on, that the churches that were uh, all over Serbia had an amazing history, and I just sort of plugged into it. But uh, on this second trip, it was about eight years between the trips, that the, the for some reason the devil was really yeah. fighting yeah, he really me was. going to Serbia. and Because right up to the last minute, it seemed like you may have to cancel the trip. Yeah, we had a, a, no, a great service here at the church the night before we left, and I kept hoping after this is about eight weeks into the concussion that uh, it, would, it would make me very, very ill. And I was having really problems with it. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, you, you're to go. You're to go. And, and, and I have a purpose for you being there. But I need to tell it in a the different order because I need to tell about the first trip to Serbia. Okay. When I, when I got on yeah. the plane to, to go to Serbia. So, you know, your mom and I were going together. And we got on the plane. I was I was ill, and we were praying, Lord, just you know, keep us safe. And I was worried about what was going to happen. Could I even function the way I needed to to do the preaching I had to do? And when I walked on the plane and sat down, I was instantly healed. Wow! The moment I sat down, it was one of the most notable. You know, we think of how a miracle might. I've had a lot of miracles, and you've had miracles, and and God is a miracle working God. But this to me was one of the most notable miracles that I personally have received. My children have received them. I've seen God touch our children and many other people, but for God to heal me. Because it was like an instantaneous dramatic healing. Yeah, as I sat down, no no shouting or running aisles, just healed instantly. And and I knew that I was healed. I felt that I was healed. And I wasn't praying that moment for healing. And so then I knew there was something very divine going on. Of course, you know, the reason I was going back to Serbia was the book I wrote at Wheaton College on our God, which is Our God is One, right? which documents the first time the growth of the movement. And by that time, uh, that was 1999, which seems like another world now. Yeah. But when I, when I published that in 1999, uh, we were documenting about 20 million Jesus' name. In other words, I knew of 20 million. I knew there were many more, but... That's what I was documenting, and that's what Wheaton College was putting their stamp of, of approval on, that, that I had demonstrated 20 million at that moment. Wow. So, for, uh, so when I was going back, the uh, Serbian church was translating. Now, you have to understand the interesting dynamic here is that the Serbian oneness movement is really Slovakian. Yeah. The, they, uh, 200 years ago, they migrated down into Serbia. So all of those oneness people, not, not every single one, but I mean the vast majority of those churches, those pastors, they know both Serbian and Slovakian, but Slovakian is their first language. Yeah. And so they translated our God is one into Slo uh, Slovakian, and they use it because they're some of them highly educated uh, men and women, and they use it to give to Trinitarian pastors all around Serbia, all over Croatia and that part of the world, and to show them that the oneness movement is a dynamic growing, that, so they don't have this false view of the movement. Isn't that amazing? And they actually did, and I have a copy right here, which you graciously gave me a copy, 
and how exciting it is that they've, it looks like Hebrew to me when I see the writing, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's a Latin, you know, Slovakians basically, uh, the way it's done there is a Latin based language, whereas uh, the Serbian and the uh, Russian language is Cyrillic. And so uh, just interesting that here we were going just to have a, of course, I was preaching all over their churches. I was going to their Bible school. I was teaching at their Bible school. I was preaching their graduation. They had 85 graduates. This is no uh, small tomatoes uh, get together. They, this group of apostolics go all the way back, nearly to Azusa, and 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 God had linked me in with them, people that I knew as a Trinitarian. Uh, they knew uh, long before I was uh, around, and so God was was linking us together, and then He used that trip uh, to heal my body and demonstrate that He had a divine purpose. He healed me right on the airplane. Did Urshan actually? Travel travel to Serbia himself? He did not. I, that I know of, no. Uh, he traveled to uh, he traveled from Persia into Russia and then traveled around. So we don't all know every single place that he was was preaching. But um, but everything that happened in Russia was affected. It eventually affected all of the uh, Slavic nations because they were part of the former Soviet Union. Uh, later on of course but so yeah they've all been impacted and and russia is the dominant force in that part of the world yes and of course it's it's a hotbed right now it's russia's in the news and that entire region is is all part of prophecy and all connected it's it's so fascinating well unless you have more serbian stories you want to share if you do that go ahead but I, the only way i know to refer to it is the hotel story which is a Serbian, story. which is a Serbian story, okay. but it's from your first trip to Serbia, right, I believe. Right. Well, uh, yes, I wanted to, I wanted to relate that then because yes, I, I stayed in one of the most beautiful hotels in in Serbia, and it's on the Danube, right uh, way up on a, a hill overlooking uh, Novi Sad, which is the second largest city in Serbia. That's closest to one of the largest of the oneness churches in that area, and so. Uh, and I kept commenting on it, and uh, while I was there, I would talk a great deal about how I had researched the early fathers of their movement. Yeah. Well, that really brought us close together, because they felt like I had a love for their history, which I did. But, of course, I'm, I'm studying 750 oneness organizations, but this particular group, uh, the fact that it goes so far back in Pentecostal history, um, w was very close to my heart. And I was really trying to find out were there any parts of my understanding that that were faulty or maybe I'd gotten some information that wasn't true and so on. So I would I was working through with their leaders, talking about it while we were actually preaching their Bible school and their camp and so on. And so a fellow brought me a book uh, that was a, a Serbian pastor, and he said, this is, uh, and they would talk about uh, for example, I was talking about their history, and one preacher stood up. It's, it's very hard for me to talk about because it's so um, so powerful, I guess. But and and said, well, his father had been in, in a prison, arrested 
by the communists and was were put in prison in Serbia. And I and I said, oh, I'd love to see the. And I had seen how people like Mayton and and Anton Huba and others had been arrested and beaten and their story. I mean, I had a found an. A, a, you know, very old newspaper that told the story of one of their arrests and how, I mean, they weren't just beaten, they were almost killed and they were thrown into the dungeon. And, and I had been talking about that and another preacher said, well, Reverend, um, uh, spoke perfect English, said, uh, well, Brother French, um, my grandfather was converted in that prison. Mm. And and was a Trinitarian when he went in, and a oneness preacher that was being beaten witnessed to him, and he got baptized. Now, isn't that incredible that a yeah. oneness preacher is winning people to the Lord while he's being persecuted in a dungeon? In a dungeon in Serbia. Yeah. Well, I didn't know have any idea where the prison was, and so I began to add. So a brother, an old old brother, brought me a copy of a history he had written. It had pictures in it. And uh, I was, oh, I was like, that was the most prized. I never had anything like that in all my studies of, of Serbian history. I got it from other types of sources, mostly copies. But this was an actual book that was written by a, an elder of theirs, and it had dates and times and pictures and preachers, and it was just amazing. So I was reading it that night after I'd preached a, a tremendous Holy Ghost service. And, the I mean, God moved. It was just glorious to see it. And I was reading through it. I looked at the prison. There was a picture of the prison way up on the hill. And I told the preacher the next morning, I said, I, it just looks so familiar. He said, well, that, that's because that is the hotel you're staying in. Mm. That was a prison, and that's where our families were housed. What a moment. Well, needless to say, it was very uh, disconcerting <laughs> to think that here I was, a, a blessed American preacher with, with m millions of saints of God in our own fellowship, and here I'm in a part of the country that 100 years ago they were dying. Literally, they were giving their life. They were willing to die for their faith. It, it made an impact. And sure. the hotel that you were staying in, was it like a five-star hotel? It's a five-star hotel. And it's gorgeous, but it, it they don't allow you into the lower where the, the prison, there was all, a, it looks, it. I thought it was a, looked like a citadel by design. I didn't know that it actually ooh, was one. If you drive up to it, Ryan, you'll see the, there are walls. It, I mean, literally, it looks like the wall of China. You go up to it, these big walls and towers. And I just thought, oh, wow, they really done a lot of <laughs> really realistic stuff and it turns out it was the prison wow well i've just i mean so since then i've been uh 100 uh committed to the serbian church and so when they said well we want to try this book is not easy to translate this is a master's de uh, degree at wheaton i mean this is very complex material and they spent the entire two years working, hired people from the university to get that put into Slovakian so that they can impact. And so now I have a tiny part in helping to impact an entire region of the world through my through just this research here. And there's no telling what kind of impact that's going to have throughout the throughout the decades. I have to believe if Satan fought it that hard, there must be something glorious coming. God's doing something amazing. Okay, it's hard for me to jump through these stories because it's so many different places and times, and I've heard them, you know, my whole, well, my whole adult life in, in right. preaching and sermons and things, but uh, the only way I know to refer to it is the airport security story. 
I wanted you to share that with people. Tell us where you were and what was happening and, and all of that. Okay. Well, the airport security story is uh, <clears throat> happened because I was invited to a uh, region of the world, Belarus, where it's a communist nation. Now, for people who don't know where Belarus is, what's that? It's it's was uh, it's Belarus means Belarusia, and it's, it was part of Russia. Uh, it's uh, it's so it's still a communist state. It's one of the few totally communist countries over there, next to Russia. And I had been invited. Uh, because they had a Trinitarian group there. They wanted me to come because of my Trinitarian roots and teach them, and they were considering getting baptized. So, uh, and very very much so, willing to go through two or three days of this. Well, what I didn't know was, (laughs) when when I left, I should have known, but um, no one actually said it to me. They probably assumed I'd studied and figured it out but it was illegal to to do it and so <laughs> i got there and i had you could have been arrested i had my my bible i had my projector because i teach with my own projector now i don't want to throw any missionaries under the bus but <laughs> that just seems like a detail they should tell you when they invite you well, they, i'm sure they assumed i had enough sense to do it but uh so i got there and i don't know why Later, a missionary told me that they probably did this because of the corruption. They wanted me to bribe them to get into the country. That's that was their explanation, and and so I arrived in the country and uh, was trying to get in because I was going to go preach to these Trinitarian preachers. And it was a three-hour drive from where I was. I flew into into Minsk, and I stayed in Minsk. And they told me to leave your stuff in the hotel. And then we'll go, and we'll be gone for several days. So leave your stuff in the hotel to fool them, you know, kind of do it that way. And so I did, mm. but to be, I but I was trying to get in the country, and they told me you you're 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 not getting in the country. You have to get on the next plane, which is going to be so many hours, and you're going straight back because you have not uh, uh you have not gotten the proper rubles. They said which I didn't know there was, there were different rubles. And so I said, well, I could, I can. Which is a money. Which is, which their, is money. their money. Yes, their yeah. money. And so it got quite loud. They were hollering at me that guns and uh, they were soldiers and they were going to uh, make me. Yeah. This isn't like our, home. like our American TSA security. This is yeah. communist nation, scary AK 47. Right. And they, they know that they know they're scaring you. And I and so I was trying to decide what to do. I had to sit down and wait. And a, a soldier from across the uh, in inside the airport, they weren't going to let me in. And so I was like in the processing area, and he beckoned for me to come over. And this is where some of our missionaries thought later. Uh, I have my own view, and they, they, a couple have had theirs that they were, they wanted me to bribe them. Well, I, I never even, never even thought if I bribed them, I'd get in. And so I, I, I knew there was only one thing to do, and that was find a way. So I said, Lord, help me find a way to get inside the country. And the soldier went like this, beckoned me over there, and he said, in fairly broken English, he said, um, you need uh, you need the rubles. There's a name for it. And I said, yes. And he said, uh, I can help you. And, of course, I immediately thought, oh, no, you know, this, this, this isn't going to end well. And so he said, well, uh, I can get you the rubles. And, and he said, right over there, and he showed, I could see it where I was. He said, I can transfer the rubles. So I made arrangements to give him the American money 
and get the rubles from over there. It, was, it wasn't a great deal of money, but it was a few hundred dollars, maybe a little more than that. And and I, I forget it was for the visa to pay for the visa something. I said, well, I've got all kind. I could get. I had rubles. They just were the wrong ones. And and so he said, uh, well, come with me. He gave me the money and he said, now follow me. And I I walked through an airport. I never went through security. I never went through. When I got to the end, we went through this hallway. My luggage was sitting there. Mm. And he said, uh, I'm going to stamp your passport. And he did. And that's it. Never asked me for a bribe. Now, if, it, if that was the intent, I don't know. Uh, and then he opened a door. And when he opened the door, the missionaries were, were in their automobile outside that door and looked at me in total shock and said, what are you doing here? And I said, this is where they've had me come. And he, they said, well, this is the back of the airport. You are not coming out the at the exit, you, you're coming out a back door. And I said, I guess I am. And I showed him, I had all my papers, everything was done. And the missionary looked at me and he said, I told him exactly what had just transpired. And he said, that had to be an angel. Mm. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And of course, those preachers got baptized and got became a part of the kingdom of God and the oneness movement. So for some reason, God had, we needed to connect. And those brethren, we needed all the way from America to there. God got me in, in spite of all the opposition that was there. Even in your hotel, you had trouble at some point, didn't you? Well, you know, I was gone three days. And so they took everything I had and they, from your hotel room, from my hotel, I took everything I needed, but they, I left all the rest there and uh, they took it and, I had to go to the uh, police what station or whatever and told them they had, they had everything. They didn't have my Bible. They didn't have my projector, but they had all the rest of my stuff. And I told them that I'd gone. I was teaching at a meeting. It was several uh, miles away, and I had left my things there. And they gave it all back to me. Wow. They said... Uh, and then they said, well, they looked through my things, and they said, well, you have... What, why do you have a Bible? I said, well, I'm teaching. And they said, oh, no problem. <laughs> and they wanted to know why I had a projector. What did I need a projector for? And I said, I'm a teacher. I have a PhD. I'm here teaching. And they said, oh, that's good, good. And they, <laughs> it was so, uh, it was my first and last uh, experience uh, with that, with the communist country. But the pastor there in Minsk is, uh, has a PhD in chemistry and, and, um, I preached in his church, and he's been arrested three times at that point, and uh, I couldn't even send him my book because it's, they don't allow it. They won't allow it. Won't let me mail him the book. Wow. And, you know, as Americans, I think we're kind of oblivious mm -hmm. to the reality that there's still places like that in the world, many of right, them, right. lots of them. Exactly. Wow. That's incredible. Okay, I want to ask you about, and the only way I know how to ask this question is, I wanted you to tell the Tibetan monk story from China and Singapore. Okay. If you can, you can lead up to it however you want to. Okay, well, uh, you know, one of my passions while I was still, I'm talking years ago, I was still at Wheaton College, I was working on my master's, and um, I, I met some Chinese Baptist students. And I became very, very aware that they knew of hundreds of thousands of Jesus-named people in China. And so through that, uh, I was uh, uh, 
I, I came to be aware of the growth of the and the history, and I began to research it. I've spent now years researching the history, meeting with leaders of the Chinese movement, and uh, but while I was there, uh, one of the criteria for me to <clears throat> to do the work on the growth of the movement. Uh, remember, this is Billy Graham Center. This is these are Baptist people who are. I'm doing research to show that the oneness movement is not a drop in the bucket. Yeah, and <clears throat> they said, "Well, what well, what you've got to do to get to if we're going to give you award you your masters based on this research, then you have to find places where there are no oneness people." Start with that. Mm. I mean, I've been working on all the others, but they said, now we don't want to know because they kept thinking I would find places and I couldn't find any. And so they finally just said, okay, your next project is to find places in the world. And I said, well, I don't know where to look. I don't know who, you're, uh, who you think, where you think it might be. And so they recommended so, uh, three or four places, but the number one was Tibet. And so I spent a couple years, and I couldn't find anybody in Tibet. So I got this call that I was, um, uh, they wanted me to come to China, come through China, went through, uh, through China, ended up at the Bible school in Singapore. But that was my trip, and <clears throat> the, the Singapore trip was amazing in itself. But on the streets of, of Hong Kong, there was a preacher preaching, and the missionaries told us that that, that man was preaching Acts 2.38, uh, and he was quite, uh, uh, he was quite uh, pro prolific and very, very uh, anointed right on the streets of, of Hong Kong. Of course, Hong Kong is free. And so uh, in the process of that, I got to meet him and talk to him and he was shocked to find out that that I was Jesus' name. And I said, "Why? Why are you?" He he could speak pretty good English, and and he said that he had he had been uh, born in Tibet and had been evangelizing Tibet. Well, I was absolutely stunned that I would meet a street preacher in Hong Kong who was from Tibet. And he began to tell us his story came and actually came to Singapore and preached and wanted us to go back. I said, I, I can't go back. But he said, well, I, I need a preacher to go with me because I have 5,000 people to baptize and I need some preachers to help me. And that was my introduction to this ministry in Tibet. So I immediately sent word to my my research supervisor that I had met Jesus named people from Tibet. And he told the story that he had been raised as a monk. In Tibet. In Tibet, one of those, you know, mountains where the mountain, clouds float by. Mountain monasteries. He was up in the mountain monastery and had been given to them as a seven-year-old boy. And when he was 20 seven years old, a denominal missionary pounded on the door of that Tibetan temple and a bunch of the monks opened that gigantic door and they have a practice that when they, they won't be rude, but what they'll do is they'll just turn their backs. And when they all turned their backs, he reached out and took the Bible from her hand and put it in his robe 
And I mean, this was one of the most startling moments of, of my life because I had been uh, wrestling with God about revelation and how people get revelation. And it was just one of those, you know, after, and, and I was uh, asking the Lord to, to revive my sense of passion, you know, and so mm. on. And, and when I met this, I'm purposely not saying his name. I don't, I, I, I don't want uh, this to uh, reflect on anyone but myself. And so um, he, he wanted to seek out Christianity. And in reading that Bible through the next uh, months and years, he became convinced that in the, the Bible where the apostles were filled with the Spirit, that he could and should receive it. And he left that monastery seeking for answers about the Spirit and went down into Naga or Naga land and there he pounded on the door. He traced that missionary. And it just so happened that the the, the mission was closed. Mm. And he pounded and pounded, and a man answered. And he said, I'm sorry, but the Bible school are, are, is closed, and the missionaries are gone. The college is, it's a, whatever, a holiday. It was a, they, they weren't having classes. And he said, I've traveled all this way. He said, I'm, I, I want to meet the woman that gave me this Bible because I want to receive the Holy Ghost. Mm. And he said, "Well, you're 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 blessed because I'm here as a layover student, but I'm a Pentecostal apostolic." <laughs> <laughs> oh. And he got baptized by that preacher that was studying at a Baptist seminary in naga of course naga's got lots of pentecostals and went back and i mean he he he's baptized all kinds of people thousands of people and uh but it re, it, it revived my confidence that if god can reach a monk on the top of a of a giant mountain in tibet he can reach anybody well, it really is the answer to the question, what about people in a foreign land who've never heard? Well, God can break through all of those barriers. God can do anything. It's so incredible. That's one of my, my favorite stories that you have from, from your travels. I wanted to ask you, you've also been to Ethiopia, and we could probably do this all day, but I wanted to ask you, you you've had, you had a pretty amazing Ethiopia trip what are some of the most moving moments that you remember? I know you witnessed some amazing divine miracles and and some sad things as well. And yes. what what? Okay, from from Ethiopia, uh, I was there when they were dedicating or or just opening that new Bible school uh, before they went off on their own, and uh, and that's a an, another amazing story the growth of the ethiopian church mm, yeah which is which is millions i mean there's there's a lot of jesus name ethiopians and um i guess the most powerful moment i preached in the headquarters church which had about that morning about ten thousand people so that was pretty impacting to be watching you know a choir bigger than most of our churches <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. But what was what was the most impacting 
uh, we were driving, and I said, what are those things on the road? And uh, they said, um, <clears throat> and I won't use names here either, they said, uh, those, those are babies. Mm. And, and uh, so when we had service on Sunday, uh, they had a line of people that were coming because they, they, they there were so many healings, I, I couldn't even begin to pick out the healings. But the most notable was that the government agencies in Addis Ababa, they would send people with AIDS that were hopeless to the apostolics because they believed God could heal anything, including AIDS. And uh, people would bring their babies and God would heal them right there on the steps. Mm. And then he, they, and they said, These, this is the row of people healed of AIDS. And and this one was has been healed for you know five years and, and but this is the line of people wanting to be healed of AIDS. Wow! And it, that was another very impactful moment to see that God was was doing that. God's doing that, and there's millions, millions of of apostolics in Ethiopia. In some ways, they've almost kind of taken over the nation. Well, they definitely made an had an impact. That's for sure. I know that I know I'm putting you on the spot when I ask you this question and you probably don't like it, but I know that in your research, you know, your documented research, you've estimated around 20 million oneness apostolics around the world. But what is your, what is your best guess or estimate? You know, it would be an educated guess, of course. What do you, what do you think is the, the number of oneness apostolics around the world today. Okay. Well, I, I don't have to guess. Oh, you want me to guess? Well, uh, you could do yeah. both. You could give us your, your official number and then I, your guesstimate. Right. I don't hardly ever guess, you know, at the number. Right. But uh, since since the research in 1999, that was around 20. And and then I make the case in Our God is One that there there has to be quite a few more because we know of them. We just don't know their size. And I made that case before the committee that, you know, I've only been able to prove 20 million, but there's, and they were stunned at that because that made us larger than almost any group you can name out there. If you're talking about, you know, different groups, now not the largest group of people in the world, but in terms of just individual movements. Right. And so that, so now we're talking 23 years down the road since then. And I've been keeping track and studying movements uh, on a regular basis. Like the, uh, you know, as recently, well, not too many uh, moons ago, I was in the Philippines. And <clears throat> there's almost no doubt now that now that the UPC has, be, you know, it really has a massive movement there. Just recently, they've documented, the UPC itself documented that the, the Filipino work that our UPC is at one point two. Four million. Now that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, that's UPC. But there are 120 Jesus named church groups in the Philippines. Yeah. All right. And and one other of the Filipino works is massive. And then there are then a, a hundred and and uh, nineteen other groups. And I've been studying all of those. So that puts the Filipino work at in the millions. Yeah. And this is true of uh, many countries. You can do this with. So right now, without any guesswork, absolutely proven, 
and documented. Now you can work through the documentation and agree with it or disagree with it. That that's uh, anyone's prerogative. But the the research shows that right now we can document thirty four point four million Jesus name people living and preaching in the world. Wow. That's an amazing. That's amazing. Number. But we know that's not the exact, we no. know there's more, but we just, well, you know, we don't want to. If I knew how to estimate it, I'd prove it. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know how to estimate it, but I do know that one man cannot document all the, all the people. That's for sure. So let me ask you a question related to that, that I know some people are thinking right now. What region of the world has the most? Is it, is it North America? Is it Europe? Is it South America? Um, well, is it Asia? I, yeah, it's a good very good question and i i have to say that uh america has uh i've documented over six million in the united states so that's the largest concentration of oneness people but the largest single organization you know the united pentecostal church is global and you're asking me regionally, so I'm I'm kind of going back and forth. But sure. like the UPC is global, and so if you put them all together, it's we're we're very close, or maybe even over five million. So that's a lot of people. But the Chinese work, I've always said, the Chinese work is the largest single organization or concentration in one country, and I do think that's true. I think that the Chinese movement, because there are more there than just uh, the, the single one uh, a documented group of, uh, of Pentecostals. There are other groups of oneness besides that. Um, but they're incredibly hard to trace because of... Well, interestingly, uh, Ryan, uh, did I show you the, the... Just this year, Harvard did a documentation the of the Jesus name movement in China. Yeah. It's the first time ever it's, it's ever been done. Yeah. Because, you know, years ago, what they used to do is kind of act like oneness people were like the step, you know, kind of like the step kids. And, yeah, yeah. You know, put them off in the room somewhere. And and I, even in my early days as an apostolic, I saw it going on. And I felt like, well, if we could correct all the misunderstandings, some people would at least start thinking you're not some oddball from Mars. Yeah. So uh, when you start, when people start saying, well, oh, no, the oneness people are the largest. For example, we are definitely the largest single uh, group of of uh, Christians in China. There's no question about it. No matter what number you go with, it's in the millions. So the next to China, besides the... You know, besides the oneness movement in uh, in the United States, now in the United States there are approximately three hundred and eighty oneness groups that I'm that I'm researching and have for years, um, and they're based out of I, I say the they're based out of the United States. They all have missions works, right? So you know when you when you talk about regions, I I. I prefer to say okay which single group has the largest concentration and that's what i mean when i say ethiopia in africa is the largest single concentration in uh, in africa that's ethiopia and then it would be china in asia so this means now some people don't know this there's a very large group of jesus name pentecostals in japan a lot of people don't mm. know that and there are multiple jesus name groups in japan but we don't tend to keep in contact with people that are 
in in these foreign uh, settings, and so we know very little about them at, at times. But uh, the movement is just uh, is far greater than most people ever imagined it was. That's so encouraging, and I I know sometimes for people listening, if we're just you know we're in our local church, we're in our local congregation, whatever size it is, you know, large, small, in, in between you can look around and you can feel like we're just a, as that professor said to you, we're just a drop in the bucket, but it's not true. We're no, a massive not. movement around the world and there's no need to have an, an insecurity complex about it. That pivots me to a question that I've been wanting to ask you for a long time and record it. When I look at, at how you came to be a defender of the oneness message it seems like some of the concerns have changed over the last 20 or 30 years. What do you see or consider to be the most significant doctrinal threat to the oneness message today or threats in, if there's more than one at this moment, what is the gravest false doctrine or, or mindset that's coming against the, the oneness movement? Uh, from within or from, within? well, both let's do both. I think the greatest threat from without is uh, uh, being assimilated. Yeah. And I think that has its mirror as inside the movement. If we become <clears throat> anxious to be accepted, because my answer to the inner problem is one word and and I'll explain it, but that is the question of essentiality. Mm. If if the oneness message is not an essential message, if holiness is not an essential message, or the new birth is not an essential message, then we will in turn become something else and basically become like all the others. If the one thing that makes distinguishes us is uh, the oneness of God, no question about it. And so I think this is the great battle of the hour to to stand for the message. And, you know, we haven't done, the the best scholarship has not been done. That's, there's so much left to be done. It's like we don't need to think that, well, we've done all there is to be to, to do. Now, the Lord could come, of course, but um, <clears throat> there's so much we can do to defend and, and to be, uh, and to have growth and have revival, keep, maintain revival, which I think is a constant struggle. The larger you get, the more difficult it can become to inspire revival in, throughout an entire movement, but, it, but that's an essential thing as well. I think the real-life example of what you're saying is this mindset that, sadly, some preachers and pastors have grabbed a hold of. They'll say things like, well... I'll baptize you in the name of Jesus if that's what you want, or I'll baptize you in the name in the names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost if that's what you want. And in their minds, either is appropriate. But there was a day, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, where nobody would have, you know, no Trinitarian pastor would have agreed to baptize you in the name of Jesus. But because there's, it's kind of watered down, some apostolics have questions in their mind does it matter which way? We've kind of lost the fight, so to speak. Do you worry about that 
that that's what you mean by assimilation, don't you? The idea that it's not necessarily essential. That's exactly right. That it's not essential. If if we come to embrace the idea that well, it's uh, it's okay to uh, compromise with Trinitarianism or it's no big deal, that kind of mindset, then we'll we'll eventually blur into Trinitarianism. And of course, we have the added concern right now because. Uh, let's say we have, let's say I'm correct, and we have at least six million Jesus named people, you know, in 300 groups across uh, North America. Well, then, how are we going to get into the hearts of our children and our young people and our young preachers the revelation and and understanding, not just that it's a, a theological view, but that this is a this is a this is a powerful truth and revelation. We tend to do it, but if we lose that battle, then we we could become accommodation. Basically, turns you into what the dominant culture is, and we have to we have to resist that. Well, I actually see this as a two pronged problem because you wouldn't have the worry of assimilation, people wondering whether it matters or not, if you didn't also have at the same time a a lowered view of the Bible or a, a view of the Bible where it's less literal and the approach where, you know, we don't have to be so concerned about every single word. The oneness movement and, and even the, the modern outpouring of the Holy ghost was birthed from people who had a very literal interpretation of scripture. And they read and said, okay, if that's what the Bible says, I've got to be, completely obedient to the exact words, but as people have kind of lost uh, that high view of Scripture, maybe that's the right terminology. Do you see that as well, it being kind of a two-pronged problem? We we need to, one of the ways we can correct the wishy-washiness that some people are developing on on the oneness would be to take us back to a high view of Scripture. Well, if if there is a wishy-washiness, and you you can see it in in certain instances where people are, are like de-emphasizing, or they don't want to be too strong, or maybe they want to have uh, be included in Trinitarian things in a way that says there there's no difference, there's no problem. Sure. Well, see, that's in a, that's a, a kind of watering down that will end in in the demise. The dominant group, the large group, the Trinitarian group is going to win. They're not going to give up their Trinitarianism, right? And so, if we blend into that, then eventually, just your children know nothing about the original message. Same is true with holiness. Now, the issue of the Bible, to me, is the great uh, battle that we face in our generation. There was a time no oneness Pentecostals would be arguing whether the Bible had errors or whether parts of it were mistaken and so on. That's all come from modernist views that are impacting young people today. And, and, and as you say, we need to uh, do exactly what the old-timers did back at Azusa and say we're going back to the Bible. Uh, this is uh, and, and, of course, many, many Christians uh, are taking a stand for the Bible, but you have to be, as a movement, we need to make sure as a oneness movement, that we recognize that the Bible itself is under attack, not just doctrine, right. but the Bible itself, and then take a stand for the Bible as infallible and and uh, perfect in every way, and the uh, 
the source of all revival. It comes from the Bible. The Spirit and the Word agree. Yeah, you can't have you can't have a doctrinal argument with someone who doesn't believe in the fully in the document that you're pulling doctrine from. Right. All right, I want to pivot um, because we've talked about persecution a little bit today uh, in in other parts of the world, and and I wanted to ask you if you worry the American church will suffer the kind of persecution our brothers and sisters have suffered around the world before the rapture takes place. Do you, do you fear that America will get to that, to that place of persecution? Well, I can't say that, um, that I see that coming. What, what I, what I am shocked at is how quickly America has uh, lost its religious basis and mm-hmm. lost its um, love for the institutions mm-hmm. that made America. So Moral basically a, a, a turn toward socialism is, I mean, most people are stunned to see a, a generation that's open to it. So I, I, I can't say that I don't believe it could ever happen. I do believe it could happen. Unfortunately for that, uh, concern is that I don't think we have time. I don't think there's time to move from the current state of American thinking to uh, to a world in which the church would be outlawed and you would be persecuted and suffer. I, I, I believe the Lord is coming sooner than that. So we're both pre-tribbers. We believe the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. That's right. And you and I believe that we're pretty close to the rapture. I think we're very close to the rapture and that everything that we're seeing right now, even these trends in the U.S., although you can't base what's happening in the U.S. and and then predict the rapture based on the United States. Yeah. But I, I'm <laughs> one of these, I'm one of these that believe that uh, I've come to believe it in the past, a number of years that the the reason that the Babylon in scripture is difficult to pinpoint is that um, people have missed that the the things which describe Babylon are describing a place like the United States mostly of course that it's a great economic center and there have been many economic centers and America could fall from grace and have no, you know, we could become the poorest nation in the world, I guess, but it would take at least some time. And I don't uh, personally see uh, there being that much time left before the Lord comes. So you don't feel like there's any prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled, that we're not waiting on anything to happen necessarily. We're, We're waiting on no prophecies to be fulfilled. They can all prophecies that remain can and will be taking place in the time of the tribulation. But I I happen to believe, and I'll finish that statement now that I'm thinking about it, that uh, the U.S. itself is becoming the Babylon, the modern Babylon mm. that, that Revelation describes. Wealthy. <clears throat> wealthy. Hedonistic. Uh, sending out, basically becoming missionaries of the of the vulgar and so forth. Ambassadors of sin, yeah. Yes, that's that's America. So I can see, I do think that probably um, that the what will happen to America 
whatever that may be, and if it's described in Revelation, all of that will take place in the tribulation. It's not going to happen uh, before that time. Now, if you believe you're going into the tribulation, then you would uh, you would accommodate that to that. I don't. I believe we're raptured first, and then uh, and that rapture is very, very close. Yeah, we're really getting close to it. Do you do you feel like do you feel like the rapture is going to take the world by surprise or do you think that the church is expecting it? Is do you mean the world expecting? Well, the the church. Do you the think the church, church will expect is expecting it? I think the church is so far backslidden uh, oneness Pentecostals hopefully are awake or most of them but I, I think it's going to shock the world yeah I do too well we've got to be ready dad thanks a lot in just a second we're going to come back and do gross good great so a lot of arm twisting happened to make that happen so stick around Well, Dad, we have today, for your eating pleasure, we have <laughs> sweet heat Skittles. So this should be interesting. I've never had these. Uh, let me give you the rules of, uh, of Good Gross Great, all right? So with Good Gross Great, we have a rating of 1 through 10. 1, 2, and 3 is gross. 4, 5, 6, and 7 are good. So you have the best chance to get in the good category. And eight, nine, and ten are is gross. All right, and uh, it's very difficult to get things in the great category. It doesn't happen very often. The other rule is it has to be something we've never tried before, and it has to be something that other people, the listeners, can get in their local grocery store, or Walmart, or something, something like that. So it can't just be a local product. So, are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I wish that people could see your face right now. <laughs> so these are sweet heat Skittles, fruity flavor with a spicy kick. These are new. Uh, they just look like normal Skittles here. I'm going to open up the bag. The other rule of, of gross good great is that you have to you have to chew into the microphone because it's this this is not a video presentation, so people have to believe that this is real. All right, here you go. I'm going to give you a handful. You can do as many of those <laughs> as you want. <laughs> All right. Okay. Are you ready? How, are you just going to eat one or are you going to eat more than no, one? I'm going to eat uh, three. Okay. All right. I'll do three, two then. All right. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Sweet heat skittle. Um. Hmm. Oh, there is a kick. Oh, I feel the, yeah, the heat kind of, it takes a minute. Because they're so sweet, it takes a minute for the, the heat to kick in. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I say they they do have a real kick, but I, I don't mind the kick in things. Just I never had a kick in my candy. Well, it's strange because it kind of hits you in the back of the throat. That's right. Mm. All right, I'm going to try one more before I give my rating here. I think I'll let you do that and I'll... But I, I, I don't think they taste bad. Mm -mm, not, not bad at all. All right. <laughs> One through ten, what do you think? All right, tell me again the scale. 
So one through three is gross. Four, five, six, seven is good. It's good. Eight, nine, ten is great. Okay. I would say they're they're good. Okay, which number though? You gotta give a number. How good? Five good, six good. Five good. So it's not something you would ever buy. Um, no. Yeah. I think I'm I think I'm close to you there. I think I'm gonna give it a I think I'm gonna give it a six. It's it's not it's not really it's definitely not great, but it's not gross either. So you know what it reminds me of is they used to have a candy that was like a same size uh but it was uh, like a cinnamon, oh yeah, red, red yeah, like the red ball, the, yeah, and it would burn your throat. Red hots, yeah, red hots, red hots. That's yeah, what this reminds me. Yeah, of. yeah. I don't dislike it, but I don't. It's love not. It. It's not like something you you long for. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, Dad. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for spending your time, and thank you to everyone for listening. Please go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, write a review. It helps us out and moves us up in the algorithms. Go to Ryan A. French and check out the article about Our God is One. God bless you all.